0: What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching as the case may be. Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. And we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about a very, huh, a very pervasive problem. That is one of the most unfortunate typos I've ever put in a title. A very pervasive problem. A very pervasive problem. It makes it where I can't even talk. I wonder, you know what? I'm going to go over here and I'm going to look at YouTube and I bet you, in YouTube, it's the exact same. That's that's oh well, it doesn't matter. I'm not even gonna mess with it. I know it's the exact same because Restream does all of the, all of the cross posting automatically. But anyway, so folks, um, I put out a post not too long ago about weak elderships and how. There's an antagonistic or adversarial relationship between certain members or even all the members of a congregation, and the eldership is so weak that uh, between the the congregation or members and the preacher, and the eldership is so weak that they cannot deal with that. They cannot take control of the congregation that they shepherd and let people know, listen, here's how things are going to be Here's how Christians act. We didn't bring this guy in for a stupid uh, popularity contest. We brought him in to teach you the Bible. That's his job. I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the role of the local preacher. I, I have my class ring from the Memphis School of Preaching, and instead of my name opposite my graduating year, I have Acts chapter 20, verse 20, where Paul, when he's talking to those elders in Miletus that were from Ephesus, he says, you know, from the first day that I came into age after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, how I have, well, and have uh, through many tears and temptations that befell me through the lying and weight of the Jews, how I've kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from, and, and from house to house. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jews first and to the Greeks also. Folks, let me tell you something. The local preacher's job, regardless of whatever title you give him, the local preacher's job is to study the word, to do the word, and to teach the word. And the outcome of that will be salvation for himself and those that hear him. It is not a popularity contest. He is not a pseudo-pastor. He is not a pastor. He, he should not be doing pastoral duties. The eldership should be strong enough to allow him to do what he's supposed to do as ordained by God, and the congregation should be on board with that and understand that this is not a dog and pony show. This is not. A popularity contest, and I think this goes back. And if and if you'll remember my thumbnail from the um from from the beginning for the show, uh, did you know Jesus wasn't nice? I really feel like what happens is that we have a group of sheep that have a misconception about Jesus, and so they think that the preacher is supposed to validate them and be nice to them and serve them and cater to their needs, and he is not supposed to be exactly what he is, a man of God that speaks with the authority of the Scriptures and to te- and to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Folks, we need to understand that we might have something a little out of whack. now. Uh, before we get into the meat of the podcast, join the Christianity Now Facebook group. We're so thankful if you already are. And uh, it's not a huge group, but it is growing. Um, Join it, participate in it, all that good stuff. There's 30 or 40 members now. I can't remember the number, but we'd love for you to do that. Now, I would also, uh, we're going to hear from a word from our sponsor, Lindsay Dodson, lindsayfaydodson at gmail.com. Supporting her is supporting us. Are you a part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches, whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics. Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson today. folks we would hope that you would contact Lindsay Dotson at lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com and talk to her about designing some social media or a social media package for your, um, a social media package for your congregation. All right, let me get in here. I'm going to read. I don't have access to what I wrote, sadly. Um, I'm going to get in and read the show description. And of course, my computer is going to go slower than molasses. All right, right here. So many in the Lord's church are entitled. They have a misconception of who Jesus was whilst he was on earth. They pearl clutch and virtue signal and leverage their contribution and attendance against remaking the local congregation in their own image, which is actually a skewed and perverted image of what they think Jesus was whilst he was on earth. Then a weak eldership will allow them to perpetuate that behavior in order to keep the peace all in the name of not running anyone off. Tune in as we discuss this pernicious problem and hopefully find some solutions to the problem. I've got some notes here about Jesus' actions and responses while he was on earth. You know, there are several instances in the gospel accounts where Jesus' actions and his words would be considered or perceived as harsh or mean, especially when viewed through the lens of modernity. These moments often reflect Jesus' commitment, though, to truth and righteousness, even when it meant challenging societal norms or confronting hypocrisy. And we're going to look at a few examples of those today. Um, the very first example is cleansing the temple. Now, the, the sad thing about it is there are people out there that will clutch pearls and they'll signal their virtue and they'll be like, well, that was Jesus. That's not us. Folks, I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says I'm supposed to emulate Jesus. It is the absolute height of foolishness for some Christian, some Sunday morning only wannabe, to tell me, well, you just need to act more like Jesus and you'll have a more successful ministry. First off, that's stupid anyway. I don't act nearly enough like Jesus, but if I acted more like him, then I would receive the same reward on earth as Jesus got. What do you think that reward was, folks? This podcast is a call for everyone to be bold. <coughs> Pardon me. All right. First off, let me get let me get our captions up here. I'm going to put the tip jar up. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, there are ways to do that in the show notes patreon buy me a coffee or you can just send us a paypal directly and some of you do that we are very grateful i don't call your name because i figure you would want to remain anonymous so thank you so much for the uh, the tips that you give us when we do our shows so the cleansing of the temple listen this act of driving out the money changers and the sellers from the temple was a dramatic display of righteous anger jesus overturned those tables He accused those money changers of being of turning a house of prayer into a den of thieves and robbers. This action, while aggressive, was meant to restore the sanctity of the temple. Folks, there are some people in the Lord's church that need to be run out. You might think, well, Tony, that sounds awful harsh, and who in the world are we to decide? Well, I tell you, who in the world we are to decide? We are Christians, and we are supposed to practice church discipline, and we have a charge. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know you not that know ye, plural. Don't y'all know, as we would say down south, that y'all are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth, <coughs> dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of the God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. First Corinthians was written to keep the temple pure, folks. And there were some that needed runoff. Paul talks about purging. Well, just, I mean, it's on the same opening in my Bible. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. <coughs> Pardon me. and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. Wait a second. Taken away from you? You Run him off. He's defiling the temple. It reminds me of that story that I use as a sermon illustration about the horse that fell down in a septic tank, the little colt. The uh, the little baby horse, um, long story short, we didn't know where the septic tank was. We roped off a sinkhole, uh, fenced off a sinkhole, but the septic tank wasn't the sinkhole. It was the other. And lo and behold, the horse fell in it. And it's freezing. He's below the frost line. He's going to die of hypothermia. We call the backhoe driver to get out there to dig him out. And the backhoe driver is taking his sweet time. And my boss man says, with a few select expletives, says, hurry up and get him out. And the backhoe driver says, well, I don't want to hurt him. To which my boss replied, hurt him? He's no good where he is. He's going to die if you don't get him out. Just get him out. Something had to happen. As traumatic of an event it was for that cult to be dug out of that hole it needed doing because if he stayed there it was going to be detrimental to the point of his death now if the uh if you have somebody in the lord's church that is causing issues if you have somebody in the lord's church that will not walk in lockstep with the leadership and, and, and you have a strong leadership, then they've got to be gotten out. They've got to be gotten rid of. Because it would be, it's better off that the whole body live and one member die. Because you have to protect the sanctity of the whole. Now that's unpopular. That seems counterintuitive to the, to the message, but it's not. You had a man at the church in Corinth who was committing fornication with his father's wife, whatever that means. I don't think it was his mother. I think it was his mother-in-law. I mean, not his mother-in-law, but it's maybe his stepmother or something. I'm I'm assuming if it was an incestual relationship where he was actually in a fornication, uh, a sexual relationship with his biological mother, probably that would have been said. But what's the point? Paul said it's better to purge him out because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Folks, that is not nice. And it needs to happen in order for the whole to be pure. So when you have an eldership that prioritizes the squeaky wheel and allows the squeaky wheel to rule by proxy, then you have an issue where a little leaven is leavening the whole lump. And again, I think it goes back to this idea of, well, we can't run anybody off. Jesus was all inclusive. Yeah, Jesus was all inclusive. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, so what do I have to do in order to get the rest? You have to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You can't just come to Jesus any old way you want to come because there's, there, there's, there's prerequisites. You can come as you are, but you have to let Jesus change you into what you're supposed to be. And if you don't, then you can't stay with Jesus. You won't get the rest. Jason Goldtrap says, I'm so glad that Jesus gave specific instructions on church leadership. Yes, and the problem is that it's not followed. It's not followed in a lot of, in a lot of cases. I cannot tell you how many private messages I have received because of that post that I put out uh, a while ago on Facebook. Um, let me go to my, let me go to my personal profile and scroll down. I can't, I can't remember what day it was, but I will tell you, yeah, it was four days ago and it's like, I've had, I've had gospel preachers coming out of the woodwork and being like, yeah, what you've described is what I've gone through or is what I'm currently going through. It is sad, but because of weak leadership, there's often an adversarial relationship between the local preacher of the congregation, or at least some in the congregation. These are often those who rule by proxy through the eldership. Woe unto you if you are an elder and you think your job is to smooth things over when a member comes to you with a complaint about the preacher. Or anyone for that matter, hell is going to be awfully hot for you. Scripture has already ruled on how this should be handled. And that's what Jason Goldtrap is alluding to. God has already given instructions to leadership on how to handle this. If somebody, if if, if you're an elder in the Lord's church and a member comes to you to complain about anybody, you have no authority. The only thing you can say to them is, don't tell me, go tell them. And if their response is, well, I don't know them well enough, then the issue isn't a big enough issue. Good morning, Angie B. Angie B's here from Texas. Um, and Jason Goldtrap says his instructions imply a man seasoned and wise. And wise. Yeah, you would hope. The sad thing is I don't think we're putting a lot of our elders are put up in an eldership and they're not seasoned or wise. They just happen to be willing to do it, and they're the husband of one wife, and that's about as far as we get. They're the husband of one wife, and they happen to have a multiplicity of children that are baptized into Christ, and that's it. All of those other attributes are not considered, and I and we argue till the cows come home about, well, can a man have one child that's a Christian, or does he have to have multiple child that's a Christian? Does it, does it, does it, does it, do they have to be Christians while they're living in the home? Or do they have to be Christians while they're out of the home? And if he has two children and one's a Christian and one falls away, can he be an elder? Look, we can talk about that, but let's get all those other prerequisites first. Some elders and deacons are in office because of the work their wife does. I haven't thought about that. Interesting. I don't know if I could, co- I, I, I just, hey, hey, you've uh, you've wrinkled my brain there. I don't know if I've ever considered that. I'm assuming you have a, I'm, I'm, I hate to give you homework, but c- could, you, could you tell me a scenario where that would be the case? I am not doubting you whatsoever. I've just never thought about it. It's not something that I've ever considered. Like, wow, yeah, I can see it. Like if, you know. If, if the wife, I don't know. I, I, huh. Yeah, I'd be interested to find out more about that. Uh, hey, what's going on? Sheila Cole, good to see you. All right. So um, back to the, the podcast here. Um, the elder's job is to rule in matters of expediency. How do we expedite the commandments of God? Well, let me tell you one thing. The opposite of expedite is to impede. Let me tell you one thing that impedes the commandments of God is whenever there are contention between members or there there is contention between the preacher and the elder. Um, my congregation has an elder who has been leading for 20 years. Uh, oh, his... I'm assuming his wife passed away in April. Is he an elder? Jason um in order to be an elder you have to be the husband of one wife. If his wife passed away in in April, is he the husband of one wife? And I think that answers your question. Angie B said well Angie B says I agree with hey hey I've witnessed for myself. I'm going to have to look into that. I would be very curious. I would like to know I would, I don't want you to gossip. I don't want you to say, yeah, it's John Smith. He's an elder, but no, I'm just, I would like to have a for instance. Again, I don't doubt you ladies a bit. Right here. Okay, good deal. It happened It happened in a local congregation. Some were deacons to keep from hurting feelings because another once elected. Okay, I got that. Now that that I can see, buddy. A few were there because their wife does a lot of work in the congregation. Yeah, I have never thought about that, but I absolutely see it. I can see that happening. Yeah, the only reason this fellow is an elder, because his wife is so active in the congregation. Wow. Yep, okay. Y'all got me. I, I And again, I, I say y'all got me like I was arguing with you. I promise I wasn't arguing with you. I was just, you threw me for a loop. I'll put it to you like that. You threw me for a loop. Um, interesting. I, I'm, I don't want to see, I don't want to, I don't want to be known as a troublemaker, but I would kind of like to put it out on Facebook. Hey, do y'all know anybody, do y'all know of any situations where an elder is an elder only because of his wife? So anyway, um, Got, yeah. Hey, hey says was not once. Yeah, It happened in local country. Some were deacons to keep from hurting feelings because another was elected. Yeah, I got you. All right. So back to the, the podcast there. Um, here, here's the thing. Whenever we have a misconception of Jesus, where Jesus is always nice and Jesus wants to smooth things over and Jesus doesn't, um, Jesus is against confrontation then you've got an issue with the leadership. And what they will do is they will prioritize niceness over righteousness. And I, th- I hope this podcast shows today that those two things, while not mutually exclusive, you can be righteous and also not be nice. And I think one of the things, about, one of the things we see from Jesus is the cleansing of the temple. Matthew 21, Mark 11, and John 2, this act of driving out those money changers. Again, we have to protect the sanctity of the body of Christ. There's only one place where I'm able to do that. That's my local congregation. There's only one place where you're able to do that. That's your local congregation. In other words, I'm not responsible for protecting the sanctity of the body of Christ. (coughs) in Alabama. I, I'm not there. I don't know the people. I'm not amongst them. But if I were there, then it would be my responsibility. Now, um, let's go. I'm not going to quote it. I'm going to read it. First, Corrine, think about this when it comes to being nice. Paul He did not dismiss criticism that was brought. However, one thing he did not do, and this this lets me know how elders are supposed to handle criticism that is brought to them. It absolutely is not handled behind closed doors. It is handled publicly. These epistles were to be read in the churches. I wonder if any other congregation besides Corinth got the letter to the church in Corinth. I might be wrong. The letter of the church in Corinth may be the only one, but it was read publicly. Listen. Now I beseech you, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Folks, this was to be read in public. So can you imagine what it was like on that Sunday whenever the letter came in and uh, this letter was read before the congregation? Could you imagine what it was like for the house of Chloe? Yeah, the house of Chloe went and told Paul, look, there's contentions among us. And here's the specific contentions. Some say that I'm of Paul. Some say that I'm of Apollos. Some say that I'm of Cephas, and others of Christ. They got specific, and Paul didn't let them hide behind anonymity. Well, that's the way elders should handle these situations today. You should make the members who come complaining be specific and don't let them hide behind anonymity if you feel it's what you need to be involved in. But the best way to handle it is to say, oh, you're coming to complain about another member to me? Well, I'm coming to complain about the preacher. Yeah, go complain to him. 35 years ago, unqualified elders opposed by those within and without who were installed because the minister felt it would lighten his load, they split the church three times now. Uh, Three times, rather. Now, elders are being sought again in a congregation with little to no growth in 40 years. Although the church needs elders, unqualified elders will destroy the Lord's church. Yes. And as I said in the beginning of the the conversation, good grief, Tony. As I said in the beginning of the podcast, so often the only thing we look at is, oh, well, there's a man. He's willing to serve. He's the husband of one wife, and he has believing children. He qualifies. Really? Well, let's look at all those other prerequisites. How would he conduct himself in a situation like we're talking about today? All right, so we're looking at examples where Jesus wasn't nice. Jesus was mean and harsh. Rebuking the Pharisees. Folks, just read Matthew chapter 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and you make them twofold more child of hell in yourselves. Woe unto your scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're whited sepulchres. The outside's white, painted white and clean, but the inside's full of dead men's bones. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and you leave undone the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done and not to have left the others undone. Folks, Jesus frequently criticized the Pharisee and scribes for their hypocrisy, their legalism, their leading people astray. He called them whited sepulchers, blind guides, serpents, generations of vipers. These strong words were used to condemn their outward piety that masked their construction. Their construction, their corruption. Jimmy Christmas. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Could you imagine if a gospel preacher got up and openly rebuked people in the congregation the way Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees? I can imagine it because I have done it, and it was a very moving sermon. I had to leave after that. I did it once, and I stayed at the congregation another three years. So that was good. The fig tree, Matthew 21, uh, starting in verse 18. Ah, Let's do 17. And he left them and went out into the city, into Bethany, and he lodged there. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said to it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And all the things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Folks, you can also read about this fig tree in Mark 11, uh, 12 through 14, and then 20 uh, through 25. Listen, Jesus cursed this fig tree. He cursed it for not bearing fruit, which subsequently it withered. (coughs) Now, well, this act might seem harsh on the surface, especially as it was not the season for figs. However, it served as a metaphor for Israel's unfruitfulness and the importance of faith. Israel was supposed to have produced fruits. They were supposed to have been evangelistic. But they weren't converting people to God through the covenant law of Moses. They were converting people to something. Through the rabbinical law, through what the Pharisees taught, folks, they weren't producing any kind of fruit. So Jesus cursed them. Well, that's not very nice. That's going to make them feel bad. And they should have felt bad. I'm I'm watching this show. Sheila Cole, good comment. Men should only be nominated as an elder because the congregation sees he is already doing the work and is proven to be scripturally sound. His works should determine a nomination. Yeah, that's, listen, absolutely the best way to find people to fill roles in a local church is to allow them to differentiate themselves through their work. In other words, you let them self-identify. All right, so this fig tree, that was a metaphor for Israel. Israel wasn't producing fruit. They weren't being evangelistic. Think about salt and light. You're a city set on a hill. You don't hide your light under a bushel. You put it on a candle stand for all to see. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing. But to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the city set on a hill, but you dimmed your light. You didn't draw people to you. You didn't preserve and influence. You didn't cast light into a dark and, and dying world. You created a middle wall of partition. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. So now you're cursed. And it's taken away from you, and there's going to be a change in the priesthood and a change in the covenant and a change in the law. Again, very, very harsh, not very nice, but it is righteous. Now, number next, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 9, uh, 2022 of chapter 8, Matthew, and, and 57 through 62 of chapter 9 of Luke. Jesus challenged a would-be follower. When a man wanted to follow Jesus but first wished to bury his father, Jesus replied, "Follow me and let the dead bury their dead." This response emphasizes the urgency and priority of the spiritual calling over traditional societal obligations and something to consider here, it wasn't that <coughs> it wasn't that the man's father had died. It's the man's father was still alive, and I believe what the man was saying is, I want to follow you, but I want to follow you after my father dies. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You need to take up your cross and follow me. Anybody who puts their hand to the plowshare and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Folks, again, very, very, very harsh. Very, very, very mean by today's standards. And Jesus ran this man off. Number six, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Actually, we won't have to do that. Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 42. Uh, when some religious leaders demanded a miraculous sign, Jesus refused to give them the sign, calling them an evil and adulterous generation. He criticized their demands of a sign, for a sign instead of understanding the significance of his teachings and his presence. In other words, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You generation of vipers, you, you evil and adulterous generation, you always seek after a sign. I am here. My presence is a sign enough. You need to listen to what I'm teaching. Again, he ran people off. And we could keep going. These are just six examples. But go through and look, look at John 6 and the Bread of Life Discourse. He runs everybody off that he just fed because of the bread of life discourse. And then he turns to his closest companions and says, are you going to leave me like these people? Folks, Jesus wasn't nice. And we have to quit prioritizing nicety as a virtue in the Lord's church. It is sickening. Now, we need to be cordial with one another. We need to be cordial with one another. I mean, if, if somebody is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you're also tempted, and bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. My brethren, we need to be cordial to one another. But nice is not a virtue. Nice is a vice kindness, however, is a virtue. Kindness needs to be extolled as a virtue. Kindness is not nicety. Kindness is telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. If you love someone, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you will be kind to them. Folks, I can tell you from personal experience, dealing with elderships in the Lord's church, if you have an eldership that prioritizes smoothing things over and not having conflict and confrontation, then you will have a congregation that is dying from the inside out. On the surface, it will look good, but on the inside, it'll be full of dead men's bones. And you will have a very difficult time getting a good gospel preacher to a congregation like that. I, I so want to start interviewing gospel preachers who have been at the congregation where they're serving two decades and above because I guarantee you that there are times whenever that gospel preacher has been at the congregation two decades and more, that, the, that certain members or even the majority of the members has come to that eldership and tried to get rid of the preacher. And the eldership said, you go kick rocks. We're not running a popularity contest. We got this man. He's here and he preaches the gospel. And if that's not good enough for you, you can hit the bricks. The very idea of thinking that you're so entitled that you can go to an eldership about anybody and leverage your attendance and your contribution into getting your own way because you have a misconception of how nice Jesus was. Folks, it's it's terrible. Bad elders run off and fire the preacher if they disagree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me tell you something. There's, there's no shortage of bad preachers out there. There's no shortage of bad preachers. There's no shortage of bad members. So I'm not just, I'm just focused on the elders because that's what has come up lately. Like I said, in the last four days, I've gotten so many uh, messages from people like, hey, thank you so much for what you posted. It really resonated with me. I've gone through this, or I'm going through this. And then they tell me their story. And it's the same MO all the time. The eldership should be the buffer between the congregation and the gospel preacher. Think about what you're asking a man. You are asking a man to come to a congregation to preach to a group of strangers and to tell them i'm here to teach you i'm here to advise you i'm here to make sure that you know what you need to know in order to go to heaven and i'm going to have to tell you things you don't want to hear and i'm going to have to oppose you from time to time and 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 you you think that that he's responsible for the adversarial relationship that comes from that, folks, hell's going to be mighty hot for, for a bunch of folks. All right. I think I'm done. I think i said all I need to say. I want to know the solutions. What are the solutions? The solutions are we need to understand what the role of the preacher is. All right. Scott Beck says, "Brother Tony, I see you in my Facebook feed more than Taylor Swift, and that's a good thing. Love you, brother. <clears throat> I think part of the problem is all too often we have forgotten that elders are supposed to be shepherds of the flock, which includes all aspects of spiritual growth. Uh, I'm going to leave that up there for a minute. Let me, let me give you the let me give you the verse that tells you the preacher's job, folks." First Timothy four sixteen. I can I can give you the gist of it, but we're not we're not gonna do that. We're gonna we're gonna read it. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Folks, that's the preacher's job. The elder's job is comes from a different verse. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Take heed unto thyself and unto the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The word feed there is the verb form of poimen. It's poimano. It's to shepherd. It's it's pastor. The preacher it should not be his job to perform pastoral duties. He's not a shepherd. It should not be his job to go visit. It should not be his job to go and talk to somebody who is having a problem with another person. It should not be his job to, first off, it should not be his job to counsel. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I see so many of my brethren who are gospel preachers talking about, yeah, well, you know, I had this couple in my office the other day and I was giving them marriage counseling. Like, you need to stop that mess. First off it's unethical. But the point is elders are to shepherd preachers are to study, live out and teach what they study. And we get these roles reversed. I'm not going to tell you from whom I heard this because I'm not supposed to quote him for my notes. But elders excuse me, gospel preachers do the job of elders. Elders do the job of deacons. Deacons don't know what to do because nobody's told them. And the members are scattered to the four winds because they have no scriptural leadership. Listen, if, if you feel like you can have a pastor and you feel like you want your gospel preacher to do all these things that elders are supposed to do, just lean into it, make him a pastor. Give him the authority of title as well as what you expect him to do. But that's the problem. In the Church of Christ, we have created a pseudo-pastorial position in the gospel preacher in the pulpit. It's a figurehead. It's a straw man. It's it's a bunch of it's a bunch of kids uh, play getting together and playing like they're the plains Indians and they create, and, and, and the, the kids, they fight over who's going to be the chief until they realize the chief don't participate in the battle. The chief stands up on the Hill and watches over things and directs the battle. So what they'll do is they will create a, 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 a straw man, a chief and set him up on the Hill <clears throat> and then they'll go down in the valley and they'll pretend like they're fighting because that's the fun thing to the little children. That's what gospel preachers are. They're this straw elder that is supposed to do all the things that eldership is supposed to do, yet they have no real authority. And so the minute that, that, they're, that they don't perform exactly the way somebody thinks they ought to perform, then that person goes and complains to the eldership and that preacher is gone. So what I want to do is I want to start interviewing preachers that have been at a congregation for 20 years and upward. And I want to know in the beginning, how did your eldership protect you from the predations of certain members of the congregation? And how did the eldership deal with your particular shortcomings? In other words, did you begin that work 20 years ago How do I put this? Did you begin that work 20 years ago as a person who was deservant of a position of longevity? Or did the eldership have to grow you and develop you? I think part of the problem is all too often we have forgotten that the elders are supposed to be shepherds of the flock, which includes all aspects of spiritual growth. That's it. Oops. All right. Now get to know the man in the congregation and their families before asking them to hold office. Yeah, that that's a good one. And you know what? The funny thing is that ought to be for gospel preachers or elders or deacons or anybody. But we will we will take resumes. We have secularized the process of hiring a gospel preacher. I took a vow in preaching school that I would never send out a resume, and I have not violated that vow. I have sent out a short one-page overview of my life one time because the people absolutely knew nothing about me. (coughs) But that's that's not a resume. That's not a that's not trust me, that's not a resume like these people are sending out. But I'll never send out a resume. If something happens and I have to leave Canada tomorrow, I'll I'll probably go somewhere and preach. But I won't send a resume. I mean everything I do is online good, bad, and ugly. Right, wrong, and indifferent. My suggestion is go watch it you can get a you can get a feel for who I am. It seems like a retired man would have more time than the employee man, but that's not a scriptural requirement I'm with you scott that's not a that's not a bad that's not a bad thing to consider um and incidentally that <laughs> that goes for the gospel preacher and the and the elders well. We just we're so weird with the things that we think. I want a gospel I want to hire a gospel preacher for the congregation. I want them to be twenty-five years old. I want them to be married and have three children. I want them to have 10 years of experience. I look at these um, I look at these preacher job postings and I just chuckle. Like, man, there's so many red flags there. I would never go there and try to work. Too much like a denomination. You want you want a pastor. Hello, Paulo, Lucy. Good to see you. Um. So I, I look at these job postings. Like there's so many red flags. You don't want a preacher. You want a pastor. You want a PR guy. And Paul, James, Philip, Peter. Jude none of these people in the bible would qualify to be a gospel preacher for these congregations my suggestion my suggestion if you have if you're if you're a if you're a if you're a, if you're a congregation and you let's say that you've had a gospel preacher for the last 25 years as the same gospel preacher and he's about to retire oh 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 And a tech guy. Yes, and a tech guy. All right. Um, So if you're a congregation, you have a gospel preacher for the last 20, 25 years, 30 years, and he's getting ready to retire, go to some preaching school and hire a single man that's just graduating and put him in the position. Well, Tony, we don't know anything about that man. Yo, yes, you do. You know he's single. You know he's green. You know he has no experience. And the eldership and the congregation can mold him into the man he's supposed to be. And you stick with him. You stick with him through his shortcomings. You stick with him through the things he says that aren't the perfect way. You develop him. He's going to meet a young woman locally. He's going to be married, and you're going to actually achieve longevity. But no, what do they do? They try to hire somebody that's the exact same caliber and experience as the man that's been with them 25 or 30 years. Folks, this is a secular mindset. The secular mindset says we hire somebody that is qualified for the job in the way that that somebody that is leaving the job is qualified. In other words, we're going to hire a man who is not where the man that is there ended up, or, he, or we're going to hire a man who is already there where the man ended up. Let me tell you something. You've got a congregation that has had a gospel preach for the last 25 or 30 years. That congregation cannot replace that individual. Because if you've got a, in order to replace him, you've got to go get another preacher that's been at a congregation for 25 or 30 years. Your best bet is to go hire a a very young, wet-behind-the-ear greenhorn and marry him. Pay him way more than he's worth and let him grow into the role. That That comment from Jameson Stewart about um spiritual growth we have forgotten that elders are supposed to be the shepherds of the flock which includes all aspects of spiritual growth that includes the spiritual growth of the preacher folks. so go hire one that you can grow. the promise is the promise the problem is elderships go hire a man that's already spiritually grown, and then try to re- tear him down to reshape him. And I think that's why, about every two, most, most preachers rotate about every two years. Only a very, very few do not. <clears throat> and it has nothing to do with talent or godliness, but it has everything to do with the people that you're involved with. Folks, let's not perpetuate this problem break the cycle at your congregation. And for a while, at least that's all I'm going to talk about this. I'm still going to do a podcast on Thursday and Friday. I know it's Thanksgiving. I know it's black Friday shopping in the United States. Uh, it's not in Canada. So I'm still going to do it. And um, I hope y'all, uh, if I don't I hope if, if you don't tune in live, I hope you at least tune in uh, after the fact. I hope I've said something. During this admittingly ranty type of podcast today. I hope I've said something that uh, has encouraged you and given you hope. It's not all gloom and doom. I promise you there are good preachers out there. There's good congregations out there. There's good elderships out there. It's just whenever you scale, the amount of bad is going to go up with the amount of good. So that means the more you scale, the more horror stories you're gonna you're gonna find, and that's one reason why it's almost like social media is a net negative, because I don't have the bandwidth to deal with all the horror stories, um, which is evident because for the last three or four days I've been talking about this. Anyway, folks, remember uh, support us on uh, Apple on, uh, buy me a coffee and Patreon. Also, I'm going to put the tip jar back up here as we're signing out near churches at gmail.com. You can send a donation through PayPal. Uh, also, remember, don't forget uh, Lindsay Fay Dotson at gmail.com for your church events or any events at all. If you, if you have a secular event, and uh, reach out to her, Lindsay Fay Dotson at gmail.com. Uh, be sure and, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. And that's all I've got, folks. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations, and um, I'm going to try my best to fix this typo in the title about a very persuasive problem, <laughs> not a berry. Anyway, God bless you, and thank you for the comments. Thank you for the support. For those of you that support, subscribe on Substack, and we'll catch you on the flip side.